That's a great truth to focus on today, and that is our focus, and that is our heart's cry today, that we would focus on God, and that we would put Jesus first in 2019. We say to him, come thou fount, come thou king. Sing with us this great hymn of our faith. Come thou fount of every blessing to
Would you pray with me, please? Father, we stand here at the beginning of a new year, and we thank you for what you've done for us in the past and how you've blessed us. And we're grateful, Father, for where we are right now as a church, back in our sanctuary with a lot of the things behind us that we dreamed to do. And we're grateful for that, Father. And we stand here at the beginning of a new year looking forward to what you're going to do for us this year. And we thank you, Father, that you do not change, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what you've promised, we can count on. And that's where we place our faith. Pray that you bless these offerings that we're about to give, that they'll go to the furtherance of your kingdom, not only here in our church, but throughout the world. For we ask in thy son's name. Amen.
What a way to worship this morning and be able to celebrate all that God has done and is doing and who he is. And we're so grateful to be able to come into his house. Aren't you grateful for the privilege of worship? It is a privilege. We can go right into the holy of holies and worship the Lord. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Kevin and praise team, choir, instrumentalists for leading us today through hymns and songs of faith and glory. Well, tomorrow night, Alabama and Clemson meet for the National College Football Championship. And whoever wins tomorrow will be the champion. But one game really does not decide the champion. Champions are made one day at a time. Champions are not made in the championship game in an air-conditioned football cathedral. Champions are made on the first day of practice outside in 110 degree heat. Champions are not made by the poles or pundits. Champions are made as discipline is practice and determination guides. Champions are not declared by governors. Champions are declared when the final game is played after the long season has been endured, and you are victorious. Champions are made one day at a time. This morning, I'm beginning a four-week series on our common goal as a church. Next Sunday will be our annual State of the Church Address, but really all of this series goes together. And here at First Baptist Church Pineville, we have a mutual commitment And that is that we do life together. We want to journey through life with one another, ministering to one another, growing in faith daily together. We also, though, have a common goal, and that is to be first. Most of you know we developed this goal about eight years ago now, and it began as a desire to set a direction for our children's ministry, and a, uh, we met with our parents at the time and brainstormed, just asking them one question, when your child is 18 and leaves here for college or career, what do you want them to be like? And we brainstormed, and then the staff took those brainstormed ideas and put them together under like categories, and thus was born B. First, or really it was just first kids and first youth to begin with. But we had a task team that was working to kind of figure out how we could do this in our children's ministry and how we could do it in our student ministry. And we realized that if we don't do it as adults, if we're not first as adults, our kids and youth will never be first. And so then it became the challenge and the common goal to be first. And as we launched that church-wide two or three years ago, someone said, well, that's kind of elitist. But they were missing the point. We weren't saying, we are first, now give us a trophy. We were saying, we want to be first. And we didn't mean we wanted to be first place, but we wanted to be focused on God, involved in ministry, respected by peers, strengthened in faith, and transformed by Christ. And we're saying that's our goal. It's lofty. It's tough. Being like Jesus is lofty and tough. And even a person who might achieve being first for a little while still falls far short of the glory of God. He is actually 
first. And that's why we emphasize it that it's our common goal because achieving it is like being national champion for football or any other sport. You don't get there easily. You don't get there tomorrow. You may get part of the way there, but still have to work on some other days. You may get there for a day and be first, but you have to start all over the next day. The goal, the challenge is always before us. And as we move forward as a church, we'll measure everything by this goal. Are, we, are our ministries helping people to achieve this goal? Are we staffing to help make sure we achieve this goal? Are we wasting effort in some area that should be shifted somewhere else so that we can achieve this goal? And so for the next four weeks, we're going to consider these five tenets. It struck me as I was thinking about this. Some churches talk about who they are. We want to talk about who we want to be. Because we don't want to be, even tomorrow, who we are today. We want to always be growing and moving forward. So we don't talk about who we are. We talk about who we are going and who we want to be. The first part of our common goal is that we aim to be focused on God And there are so many scriptures on this topic that I could preach just on this tenet every Sunday for the next year or two and never exhaust them all. But for this year and for these purposes of this series, I've been drawn to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. And please turn there in your copy of God's Word because we're going to really dive into just those three verses of this six-verse psalm. But as you get situated in Psalm 1, I want you to focus on the word focus. Did you know that the Latin word for focus actually meant hearth or fireplace? I didn't realize that until doing some study for this message. The, the word focus means hearth or, or fireplace. In the scientific Latin of the 17th century, the word was used to refer to the point where the rays of light, which are refracted by a lens, are then converge. And so because rays of sunlight... When directed by a magnifying glass to a piece of paper can actually ignite that. Anybody try that after like third or fourth grade science? Uh, because those focused beams can light a fire, a word meaning fireplace came to mean focus. And so I was, I was struck by the etymology of that word because it captures what we want in our relationship with God. I mean, we talk about being on fire for God, so how do you get on fire for God? You get focused on God. And that's where the fire then comes from. But in our world, maintaining focus is difficult. Perhaps more than ever before, there are so many distractions. All of us have attention deficit disorder because we've been trained to be that way. All day long, something is dinging, ringing, buzzing, whirring, or talking to us. And it's hard not to be distracted, even when you try. And as I was working on this message, and I have two monitors on my desk, and the sermon manuscript was on one, and, the, and my email was open on the other. And I thought, what a distraction. I closed that out. And then I realized that my phone was, my office phone was like, a foot away from my typing hands and my cell phone was six inches from my typing hands and my door was open into my assistant's office so we could communicate and we were talking back and forth it's just distractions everywhere even when we're trying to be 
focused. And so what we have to do is realize there are always distractions, but we have to learn to focus on God in spite of the distractions. Psalm 1 shows us how to be focused on God and the wonderful results of it. We think that this psalm was purposely put at the beginning of the Psalter to serve as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. Because in this psalm, the psalmist talks about what happens with the person who walks with God and what happens to the person who doesn't walk with God. And the rest of the book of Psalms kind of goes back and forth with this kind of idea, what it's like to walk with God, what it's like to not walk with God. And so this psalm provides this wonderful comparison of a person who is focused on God and the person who is not. And since we want to learn about being focused on God, that's what we're going to focus on today, which is found in verses 1 through 3. But to get the context, let's read the entire psalm. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the light of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And on his law, uh, he, he his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. What does it mean to be focused on God? Well, the psalmist tells us that the person who is focused on God is blessed. That is the word that's given. Now, while most modern translations do interpret and translate that Greek, that Hebrew word as blessed, it can also mean things like happy, fortunate, prosperous, even enviable. That sounds like something we want to be, right? Happy, prosperous, enviable, blessed. That's a good thing to be. So how does it happen? Well, the psalmist tells us by giving us some things the blessed, focused person doesn't do, and then things the blessed, focused person does do. Look again at verse 1 for what they don't do. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. The psalmist notes three postures there. Walking, standing, and sitting. Now, many scholars see a downward progression here. The person who does not follow God begins by merely walking in the counsel of the wicked. They're just walking by. They're kind of listening in. They're peeping in, checking out what's going on. Then they walk on. But then the next time, they stand a moment. They stand in the way of sinners, and they listen to what's going on, and they get counsel from them, and then they move on with life. But the next time, the third time they come, instead of just walking by or standing, now they sit, and they take it in. And then it just becomes the pattern of life. And that is not good. 
Because when people live in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first they merely walk, then they stand, and then they sit. If you want a simple check for your life, consider this. Where do you walk? Where do you stand? Where do you sit? That'll tell a lot about where your life is and where your life is going in the future. Where are you walking? Where are you standing? Where are you sitting? So the blessed person then who is focused on God doesn't do that. He says he does not walk in this way. He does not stand in this way. He does not sit in these places. An important part of deciding which way you're going to go is deciding which way you're not going to go. And so that is a very important decision. So the focused person knows that he can't fellowship with these people, sitting among them, chumming with them, seeking counsel for, from them. Now, an important thing to notice here. These ungodly people who are mentioned are not necessarily evil people. They simply don't have God in their lives. Now, they're described as sinners. They're described as wicked. They're described as mockers. But they may not necessarily be evil people or even really bad people. They just leave God out of their life, and they live as though God does not exist. And a person who's trying to be focused on God can be pulled off track if you're spending all of your time with ungodly people because they just don't know any different. Therefore, the blessed person who focuses on God turns in a different direction. He seeks wiser counsel. His footsteps are ordered by the word instead of the world. He is selective in his company. Although he too is a sinner, he knows that he is a saved sinner. So he doesn't walk by, stand, or sit where the sinners are because he knows he can be pulled back into that. He walks, stands, and sits where God is. And he drifts towards that. He is in the world, yes, but he's not of it. Uh, he is to impact the world not to have the world impact him. <clears throat> he is to overcome the world, not to be overcome by the world. As one person wrote, we should stand close enough to help, but not close enough to be hindered. Some of you know who wrote that. It was by Leonard Sanderson, who was a member of this church some time ago. Stand close enough to help, but not close enough to be hindered. Therefore, the focused and blessed person doesn't sit and listen to the ungodly. He moves in the ways of God. And what are those ways? Well, that's verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. The blessed person delights in the law of God. Now, what is the law? Well, it's God's Word, the Bible. For the psalmist, it was just the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But for us, it's the whole countenance of God's Word. You realize how blessed we are to have so much more revelation about God than even King David? We know so much more about God, and with that comes great responsibility that we spend time in it. And so the psalmist says that 
if you're going to see this blessed life come, then, then you've got to meditate on God's Word. Meditate is a word that's real popular today, but it's misused. In fact, uh, over the, the holidays, we were spending some time with my sister and brother-in-law down in Covington and uh, the Good Morning America or the Today Show or something was on and they were talking about meditation and just erase your mind. Focus on your breathing. Be empty. And that's all well and good for a moment. But as soon as you stop focusing on your breathing, everything else is going to come in. Besides that, the enemy loves a vacuum. So you don't want to give him a place to fill in. And so biblical meditation is not just empty everything from your mind. Biblical meditation is put the right thing into your mind. And that is scripture. Um, in meditation that's taught in the Bible, you put God's word in. God says in Isaiah 26, 3, that he will keep in perfect peace the person whose mind is stayed on him. That's the problem in our society today. Not that our minds are busy, but that our minds are not stayed on God. That's what the change needs to be. In his book, Simplify Your Spiritual Life, which really doesn't simplify your spiritual life. It just gives you more things to engage in in your spiritual life. Don Whitney says, Reading is the exposure to Scripture, but meditation is the absorption of Scripture. I like that. He goes on to say, um, In times of rejoicing, you met, it, it, it's absorption that leads to transformation. So you're bringing in the Scripture through the exposure of it, you meditate on it, you absorb it, and then you're transformed by it. It's a wonderful process that happens. And so then, as God's Word is in you and you're meditating on it in times of rejoicing, you're meditating on the Psalms of praise to God, and you say, God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And then in times of, of defeat and, and struggle, you turn to the Lord's Word for encouragement and you realize, like what Jeremiah said, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a future and hope. Meditating on God's Word is a wonderful, powerful thing. So how do you do that? Well, first you've got to be in God's Word every day. You can't meditate on the Word if you're not in the Word. A Bible reading plan can help with that. It's New Year. I encourage you to get a Bible reading plan. There are a lot available online. This year, I'm using the YouVersion uh, Bible on my phone. I, I found there's dozens of reading plans. I picked through the Bible in a year. It gives me scripture verses in the Old and New Testament every day, plus a devotional that goes with all of those different readings, which I find fascinating that they can write a devotional that links three or four random passages together. But it's really good, and I'm enjoying that. It tracks progress. There's even, praise the Lord, because I know I'm going to need it at some point, a catch-me-up button. So when you fall behind, it does something and figures out the algorithm and catches you up. Get God's Word into you. Second, reflect on what you read. This is probably the, the problem I've had in Bible reading plans in the past is I'm very um, task-oriented, so I'm like, read the Bible for today, and then I'm like, well, what did I read? Right? So reflect on God's word. Take a moment to ask some questions of that word. Is there something that I need to stop? Is there something I need to start? 
Is there something I need to confess? Is there something I need to pray about? Is there something I need to thank God for? Is there something I need to communicate to someone else? And just those simple questions can help guide you to think. The answer may be no to some of them and yes about something else. Third, to meditate on God's word, journal. Write a prayer to God or jot down some notes of the things that caught your attention. One of the things that I'm enjoying about the, the Bible app is if there's something in that devotional or in the Bible that I really kind of like and want to note and I'm reading a translation I don't normally use, I can just highlight it and put it in the notes section on my phone. And so I have a note section in my phone that's called devotional clips. And then once a week I'm trying to go back and read those things that I've brought out in that. Now Rebecca does a different thing. She has her, her prayer journal, which I do as well. But she also has then another journal that's kind of like for scriptures that stick out to her or quotes. And she's got a, a wonderful abundance of things there. Find what works for you. Then fourth, memorize scripture. If it's not up here... God can't pull it out. He, you know, he's like, I need something to focus on, Lord. And he's like, well, if you'd put something up there, I could bring it to your mind. <laughs> you know, you'll be surprised, though, how Scripture will stick if you'll just use it. Don't memorize Scripture like you memorized facts for your, you know, history test in college. Memorize Scripture like you memorized your phone number. By using it and sharing it. If you do that, it will stick. But if you just are like, i got to memorize 52 verses this year. Five or six will stick. But if you say, I'm going to memorize it and I'm going to use it. It would be better for you to really learn 10 scriptures that stuck with you for life than to overdo it and try to learn 365 verses this year. It ain't going to happen. Get stuff, stick it, memorize it. Notice that the psalmist says that the person who's focused on God meditates on God's word day and night. I thought about a practical application of that might be that, you know, if you do your devotional time in the morning, take a moment and review it at night before you go to bed. You know, how often do we read something in the morning? We forget it by the time we go to bed. Pull it back out. Or if you're married, take a moment. Hey, what, what are you doing in your quiet time? What are you doing in your quiet time? Just Two or three minutes. And I think that would really help us to really focus on God's word day and night. Meditating on God's word is all about spending time with our heavenly father. Jesus spent time with the father and consequently then he knew exactly where to go and how to move in the direction of the father. And that's what we need in our life. And the impact of all of this will be great. The psalmist tells us that there are some benefits to being focused on God. Verse 3, he's like a tree. The person who's focused on God is like a tree who's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Notice that we have this wonderful image of a tree, kind of an illustration metaphor, but it's not just any tree. The first thing that the... Psalmist shows us of a characteristic of this tree is that it is planted. This is not a wild tree that came up volunteer, as my daddy would say. This is a tree that God has specifically planted and purposefully planted where it is. Why? Because God has a purpose for it. And that is the case for all of us who walk with God. God has a purpose for us, and He plants us in a place, in a family. 
to do a certain thing. The idea of a planted healthy tree is familiar in Scripture. In Isaiah 61.3, God likens his people to stately oaks. It says this, Isaiah 61.3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And God then plants us by streams of living Water And we say, well, what's he referring to? Well, in the metaphor, a stream of water. But what's he kind of given in our life? Well, the stream of water is God's word. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so God's word is like that stream that's going by that tree and, and the tree just soaks up that water. And as we are planted in by God's word, we soak up God's word. And then consequently, we see that it brings forth fruit in season. Now, I want you to underline something that I didn't notice till I was studying this week. And that is it bears fruit in season. In season. The focused person bears fruit at the right time and in the right way. No tree bears fruit all the time. When it's not bearing fruit, it's growing and getting ready to produce fruit. So it reminded me that there are seasons in our life where we produce fruit, but there are seasons in our life where we're growing and learning and getting ready to produce more fruit. Now, if that's been going on for 15 years for you, something wrong with your tree. But there are times where you're preparing to then produce fruit, right? It brings forth fruit in season. When we're, therefore then, we are able to survive those times of life that are battles and then those times that are blessings. And because we can survive those, then we learn that the leaves of the tree do not wither. No matter what comes its way, a tree that's well planted by a good water source remains healthy and producing it. Its leaves don't wither. Storms come. Seasons change. But the tree stands and continues to grow. Generation after generation after generation. Have you ever seen a believer go through some tough stuff in life and you thought, how in the world... Are they making it? This right here. This right here. They're like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its, its, fruit, its leaves do not wither. And then the psalmist comes down to sum everything up. God says the focused person sees some success. It says whatever he does prospers. Now, that is great news. Everything prospers. But hang on, Creflo Dollar and Joel Osteen. God is not saying that just whatever you want to see happen is going to prosper. You have to take this in context. And what is the context? The person is planted in God's Word. They're growing in God. And so, yeah, if you're planted in God and you're growing in God, you're walking in the will of God, you know the will of God, you're going to pray in the will of God, and everything you do is going to prosper. But if you're just out here on your own going, well, God says everything I'll do prosper. No, he doesn't. It's when you're walking with the Lord. And it boils down to this. Everything in life is just a zero without Jesus. No matter what it is. 
family, money, job, career, talents. Everything, everything in life is just a zero. But if you put Jesus out in front of it as the number one of your life, it gets immense value that you could not even imagine. Put Jesus first. Focus on God. This year I challenge you to do that. How, how can you know that you're being focused on God? Well, one of the things that we've done now in the Be First uh, challenge is to have some measuring rubric, I guess, under it. And so there are four things for each of the five tenets. And the first is that if I'm going to be focused on God, I practice the privilege of worship. When worship is a priority to your life, you're focused on God. That's corporate worship every week. That's personal worship every day. Those are important. You practice the privilege of worship. You, I read and memorize scripture regularly. It's a part of my daily habit. I'm focused on God. You pray because it matters. And you're praying daily. And, and, and you know the value of spending time with your Heavenly Father. It's not just like, bless us, O Lord, for these I guess we we're about to do with Christ the Lord. Amen. At the blessing. You focus. You pray. You spend time with God. And then you know and follow God's plan for your life. What is God wanting me to do today? And I'm going to do that. What's he wanting me to do five years from now? I'm pursuing that. I'm going after that. This year, will you commit to focusing on God? If you will. It'll make all the difference in your life. In fact, we just have to look back at the early church. In Acts eleven twenty six, we read that it was in Antioch that the Christians were first called Christians. And the people in Antioch gave the Christians that name because they basically said, look at all these people running around here. They look like little Christ, which is what the word Christian means, little Christ. And it was an appropriate description, and so the name stuck. But what we sometimes forget is that the Christian movement actually already had a name. You know what it was? It was called The Way. The Way. Christians weren't just running around in random ways. They were following a focused way. The way of Jesus. And because they were focused, they were on fire. And they knew that champions aren't made in a day. They're made one day at a time by being focused on God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that produces fruit in season. Its leaves do not wither. And whatever he does prospers. That's the kind of year I want to have. That's the kind of church I hope to pastor. May we be focused on God. Let's pray together. Our God, we are grateful that you want us to have a focused relationship with you. And so, Lord, at the beginning of this year, we submit ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be focused. Lord, help us to move aside the things that are distractions and to focus completely on you. Bless us and bless your name through us this year. 
is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.